Hello, Heartland Pod fans and listeners. Um, if you're new to the pod, thanks so much for tuning in. My name is Rachel Parker. This is an episode of Let's Have a Chat, where we sit down with uh, candidates, stakeholders, decision makers, activists, policy wonks, uh, all kinds of people. And uh, this week I was uh, fortunate enough to have some time to sit down with Kayla Lacey from The Intercept about some writing she's been doing. About the uh, various challenges against Cori Bush, especially the one mounted by Steve Roberts uh, Jr., who is unfortunately my state senator. Um, and before we go into the interview, um, my colleague and friend and uh, partner Adam Summer often does what he calls an opening statement. I'm going to do a modified version of that right now and talk a little bit about um, my reflections on this race before we get to the interview with Akela. And I was thinking about this after I finished talking to her because we spoke a lot about sort of the the issues behind why two men in particular, uh, Steve Roberts Sr. and Lacey Clay, um, my former congressman who was uh, whose reign over Missouri's first congressional district was disrupted by now Congresswoman Cori Bush, who is now my member of Congress. And, you know, it would be one thing if I thought that these two people in particular were advocating for her replacement because they thought she was incompetent. And while they may have their own opinions about what her positions are, I genuinely don't think that they think that she's incompetent. I think that they don't have her last name. Roberts Sr. and Clay, I think, see themselves as the sires and... Um, holders of a legacy position in my community and make no mistake. This is about them being able to extend that legacy. Um, Roberts himself has, has dallied in politics for a long time. Um, and his son has had uh, basically a political career handed to him by that father because of their vast amounts of wealth and influence and Lacey Clay's father, of course, um, famously used to represent this part of St. Louis uh, in a very different time, in a very different era. And and Clay, uh, the son, basically inherited that role from his father. And I think what both of these men want is not so much to govern, to have any sort of dictates over how the area is per se governed. I think they just want to die knowing that their legacies are intact. This is about name. This isn't about talent. This isn't about... Um, competency. This is about influence and especially the influence when it comes to um, how they see their names reflected in the history books in St. Louis. And I think it's not going to work. I think it's an embarrassment and um, I'm really, really, really pleased and honored that Akela gave us the time to sit down and talk about why it's an embarrassment and why I think it's going to fail. So with that, uh, here's my chat with Akela from The Intercept. Let's have a chat. So welcome back to the Heartland Pod. Uh, we're here for Let's Have a Chat with um, a new a new guest to the podcast, uh, but someone who I've spoken to uh, before and whose work I follow and like quite a bit, Akela Lacey um, from The Intercept. Hi, Akela. Hi, Rachel. It's Thank good you to meet so much you. for having me on. It's great to meet you, too. Thanks, thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks um, for bringing me on. 
Of course. So why don't you um, talk a little bit about what you do at The Intercept and, and your background as a writer? So I am a politics reporter at The Intercept coming on being there about four years now. Um, I cover a lot of congressional and electoral politics um, with a focus on progressives and the left. Uh, I also cover uh, criminal justice uh, and uh, campaign finance as well. So then you will have been following Cori Bush's victory and how she disrupted the Lacey Clay dynasty, the, the Clay family dynasty before um, the story that you originally, that you, I'll say the, the first story that you wrote about Steve Roberts. Yeah. So we, yeah, a lot of the focus of uh, my coverage and that of my colleagues at The Intercept is on uh, sort of the growing number of progressives who have been elected to Congress, you know, since 2018 with uh, Rep. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez toppling Joe Crowley in New York um, and a a slew of other similar uh, ousters, uh, you know, the quintessential quote unquote squad um, and and additions in recent years. the, the focus of our coverage this cycle, though, has sort of shifted to uh, the money behind some of the challenges to those people and connections with the Democratic establishment um, in those in, with those folks. And then in other races, you know, where we're talking about safe blue seats, where there's a progressive challenger um, and sort of an establishment or more or more centrist candidate. Um, so in that context uh, is is sort of how we've been covering the primary against Cori Bush. This is her first primary challenge uh, since she took office in 2020. Um, uh, you know, sort of just giving more context. I'm sure people know this, but that you know, her defeat of William Lacey Clay uh, in 2020 ended his two-decade career in Congress. Um, part, sort of put a, an end to his long-held sort of political domination. Uh, in St. Louis and, and the surrounding areas. That was her second attempt to to uh, to unseat him. Um, and since then, uh, he and his allies have been, you know, closely sort of very vocally opposed to her and then sort of, you know, behind the scenes working closely with the folks who are trying to uh, unseat her this cycle. So the first story that we wrote about Steve Roberts was about, we, we got a tip that someone had been removing allegations of sexual assault from his Wikipedia page uh, using an IP address uh, on the grounds of the state capitol in Missouri. The backstory here, obviously, is Steve Roberts is a state senator, but he's also the Democratic uh, whip in the state Senate. Uh, and somebody ostensibly, you know, someone with a, a capital IP address uh, was removing these allegations, not once, but, you know, two, three times after Wikipedia editors, which I learned a lot in this story about the the high level of scrutiny that information, not, not on every Wikipedia page, but at least uh, that the editors give to, to information and edits made on the page. Um, and so, yeah, people who had been making comments that some of the, the removals were unsubstantiated. And then there was also, there was addition of information that that tried to paint him in a, a favorable light. Uh, so we wrote about that story back in March. The next month there was, uh, this was after, you know, the the tragic death of uh, former state rep Cora Faith Walker, who, who had accused Stephen Roberts of rape back in 2016. He gave an interview to a, a local CBS affiliate, you know, after her death, um, denying her, you know, again, denying her allegations, which he's always denied publicly. 
and also revealing that he had settled a lawsuit with her, the terms of which were saying that, that neither of them could talk about this. And so it became clear that at that point he had come forward because the other party to that settlement could no longer you know, take action against him should he discuss it. Uh, and people had been circulating it and talking about it again, obviously, because he, you know, is running for higher office, uh, which his campaign, you know, says is is being planted by Cory Bush supporters when in reality, uh, people in St. Louis have been, you know, raising alarms about about his behavior uh, in relation to those allegations for, for a long time. So after that interview that he gave, we then wrote another story uh the second woman, or, or yeah, the the other woman, the first actually allegation that had been uh, lodged against him by a woman uh, named Amy Harms, um, who has since come forward publicly with you know her claim that he sexually assaulted her by groping her and and trying to put his hand inside of her underpants at a bar in 2015, and also threatening verbally to destroy her career while he was drunk at a professional um, networking event. It's not like it's not like they were hanging out. I just want to clarify that, that Amy yeah. is a professional attorney. She was, I believe they were both, I can't remember exactly what their professional connection was at the time. I'd have to look that up. Uh, and I apologize for that. I should have really been more prepared for that. But anyway, they were in a professional context. He got really drunk, groped her, basically, like then also verbally assaulted her and told her that she was nothing or something like that. Like pretty, pretty horrifying stuff. And she understandably uh, called law enforcement at the time and uh, tried to pursue... So for people that are not aware of this, Amy did try to pursue a criminal complaint against Steve Roberts, which was thrown out. And then because um, she was unsuccessful in that venue, she then went to the um, civil courts to, you know, essentially uh, exact some form of justice out of him. And that is the um, that is the settlement that then you talk to her about. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Um so yeah, so it's my understanding, um, you know, she was a she was a law student. Um, and I believe that he was at the St. Charles County's attorney's office at the time of the allegation. But it was like, you know, it was like law students going out for a drink. And I think he was there. Not, I'm not sure how, what yeah. his connection to the group was. But yeah, so she pursued, she she reported that to the police. The special prosecuting attorney in that case um, declined to charge him eventually. Uh, that prosecutor, I will note, um, was recently arrested for a DUI. Uh, you know, and then Roberts is, once the the story about the the hundred thousand dollars settlement uh, was picked up, you know Roberts came out saying he didn't pay the money. It was you know th- this the company on be- his insurance on behalf of his family, which you know we we have in the story. But you know again, at the bottom line is that the complainant in that suit received a hundred thousand dollars settlement uh, in response to her her claims that he physically sexually assaulted her. Nonetheless, his campaign has you know continued apace. Uh, he has been you know, holding fundraising events. Um, I believe some protesters uh, showed up at, at one of those events. And I think he was at, uh, this was before he actually launched his campaign, but he was at, you know, some signing uh, there. He was at some event, you know, for naming a street after William Lacey Clay, who was asked about these allegations at the event and, you know, was reportedly very angry uh, and said, you know, he's known Stephen Roberts his whole life and, you know, that he would, he would not do something like that. Um, give us so, yeah. time. To, give us time to grieve. He demanded, right. as if yeah, somehow he, we're the ones bringing up Cora Faith Walker's name because we're all bored, and just like we're not the ones that are slandering. Like as if we're the ones that are slandering her posthumously, and not the people 
that are supporting his little lapdog uh, to disrupt Cory Bush's success. So speaking of Clay's revenge tour, you and I spoke, we chatted briefly on from like an hour or so after um, the the first story that you published about Roberts, about when 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 Amy when you interviewed Amy about her settlement. I we kind of connected on Twitter. We I think we chatted before maybe we dm'd back and forth a little bit before and i just said you know if you ever want to talk on you know uh talk on background or whatever about kind of the vibe in st louis and what's really going on that'd be great so we talked for about an hour and i remember specifically saying to you like just so you're aware of this what this really is is lacey clay's revenge tour against Corey bush for no other reason except that she took his prized possession away from him which was his congressional seat and he didn't get to retire on his own terms. And that pisses him off. And Lewis Reed is still pissed off that Tashara Jones took the kind of coveted position of mayor away from him. And um, maybe somewhere in the background is also Lida Krusen, who was also basically forced into being a one-term mayor because progressives in St. Louis changed the way that we vote in primaries to get rid of people like Lida Krusen. And so like this kind of, so I just kept saying the word revenge tour, revenge tour, revenge tour. And then last week, um, I will say this St. Louis Twitter blew up because KSDK ran a story about Lacey Clay saying Lacey Clay's revenge against Cori Bush continues and then talked about these two, what are essentially Robert's family organizations that are funding the two, uh, both a, a 501c4 and a PAC that are supporting Steve Roberts' re-election efforts, and they are the only moneyed organizations that are supporting Steve. His, his own individual fundraising has been abysmal. Um, essentially, the only individuals who are contributing to his campaign are Lacey Clay's sister, Lacey Clay, and Steve Roberts' dad, right? Those are basically like the biggest individual donors. And then there's Lacey this... Lacey Clay's former communications director. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yes, Eng- Engelhardt, is that his name? Um, he's another yeah. like well-known St. Louis character. Um, so that being that campaign finance, progressive politics, and people that are working against um, progressive upstarts in Congress are kind of your areas of interest this is kind of the trifecta right like this is just like this this is hitting on all cylinders so just talk a little bit about the information that you um that you learned from the ksdk story and then kind of how you did a little bit of further digging into it yeah so uh the ksdk story was great you know they they interviewed uh paul zemich um who is the you know who was running the yahad pack this new pack that uh is, is sending mailers um and just dropped a bunch of radio ads against Corey bush um, but we had been working on a story about that pack for a while, and I had worked with a freelance reporter um, who was at Jewish Currents, r- writes for us, you know, um, from time to time, and had interviewed the same guy a while back. Um, and was we were looking for for ways to collaborate on the story, but we were waiting for them to file their financial reports, um, you know, ahead of the primary. And so, and again, we had been, you know, obviously following Roberts's campaign and expecting that, you know, some money was going to come in, you know, because his family, has, you know, bankrolled, you know, his state and local campaigns for for the most part, um, expect, expectations that that would happen. He's also loaned himself one hundred thirty five thousand dollars, which is, you know, a substantial portion of the amount of money that his campaign has raised so far. Um, so with the KSDK story, um, we confirmed that, well, they, they obviously wrote about the fact that Republicans were, were funding the group. The reporter that I had worked with um, had, had this kind of freewheeling crazy interview with this guy where he talked about that same thing and said, you know, there are some Republicans who we can't get on board basically because they want to be able to 
you know, basically do everything they can to territory down in the general. Um, but they think that she's a good target, basically. Um, he used some far more unsavory terms uh, in describing that phenomenon. Um, but basically, yeah, there, so- were, there were there were like dog whistles just going up all over um, those comments. So just to clarify, yeah. the person that you interviewed who's affiliated with this Yahad pack, yeah. which is a five or it's actually Yahad group. It's a 501c4, right? That's actually like a nonprofit. Is that correct? Or is that the actual pack? I've uh Yahad pack is yeah it's, it's the a, pack it's okay the fi- yeah it's the 501c4 correct or, okay sorry, so it's the pack yeah right so so they have basically like the 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 ability to spend money in elections however the hell they want and um just to clarify what what this character told you is that Cory Bush is more valuable to Republicans as an elected official because they can use her to point to her and be like the angry black lady is going to defund the police or whatever nonsense they want to like you know, use her as, or accusing her of being an anti-Semite or whatever the vibe of the day against Cori Bush is so much so that they do not want to be involved in campaigning against her in a primary. Right. And that there, it's not like there's anything that Steve Roberts offers as a Democrat. That's going to be all that valuable to a Republican, even if he's eventually elected to the house of representatives, right? Like he's probably still going to be pro I mean, he's, he's had some questionable votes on, on choice here in Missouri, but you know, you can probably look at like, he's going to do like Roberts is the kind of guy who, um, while I think he has no business being in the United States House of representatives at all, I don't think he has any business being in the, in the Missouri legislature either, but here we are. He's my Senator. He will do whatever party leadership tells him to do. Probably the guy doesn't have an imagination. He is not uh, someone who got won his way into politics the way that Cory Bush did, which is, you know, basically by, pounding the literal pavement with volunteers he bought his way into um, politics because his father is wealthy and has a lot of connections and so dad roberts was able to be like okay son you washed out as a city attorney you uh you washed out in, as in, in your military career so let me buy you a job in the missouri state legislature which is a, a fine tradition in missouri politics hey folks adam summer here just wanted to remind you you can get signed up for our Patreon. You can get links to all of our shows, information about our hosts and what we do over at heartlandpod.com. Sign up for our Patreon. You get extra episodes, extra access. You can also follow us on all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, and of course on Twitter. We love to interact over there with at the heartland pod on Twitter. Just search for us and find the three leaves. Any place you find podcasts or social media will be there. Give us a rating. If you can five stars, really appreciate it. And now let's get back to the show. So going back to the article, um, how surprised were you that this, you know, kind of, I mean, this is somebody who you would think would be a little bit more playing the cards a little bit closer to the vest when you finally, I mean, it was like reading an interview with like Krusty the Clown or something. I was like, this guy just has abs is completely kind of unvarnished in the way he sort of talks about fundraising. Yeah. So I, I mean, actually that's been an interesting sort of, uh, theme in some of the other coverage that we've done, you know, in other races, especially this cycle. Um, we've also been covering the primary against Ilhan Omar in Minnesota, her primary challenger, similarly uh, holding fundraisers with open <laughs> open Republican operatives um, and saying, you know, we, we want the big tent, we want to bring everyone in, which again, you hear sort of that echoes of, you know, the line from, from the National Democratic Party about you know, trying to to pull in conservative voters or trying to pull in folks in the middle. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think there's 
it is it is kind of hilarious though because the, it, it just shows the disconnect where you know they don't think that that's a bad thing and obviously the the very the, the most salient argument against that is you know you're simultaneously telling us that these are your biggest obstacles to getting anything done when you have a trifecta but you want them you want their input, you know, on how to how to win elections or how to how to grow your margin. Um, and so for some people that the, the hypocrisy is very clear for others. They think, you know, they think we're the ones who are crazy. Right. Well, and I think <laughs> what, what really to point this out, there's an adage, which is now a cliche that all politics is local. Right. And let's be clear, like there probably are people in the National Democratic Party who are based in D.C. that look at Cori Bush and roll their eyes. But this movement to unseat her is highly local. I mean, these are people and it's, I, I don't really, I really genuinely believe this. It has nothing to do with her policies, right? right? It isn't because she's standing up against rich people or it really is because this guy has an ego and he thought he was loved and he thought he was respected. And he thought that he was this guy that people in St. Louis needed to be successful and she's done more with less in a very, very, very short amount of time in a way that he uh, could not. And yeah. because she is someone who has helped, we were talking about this before we recorded, that there were substantial power vacuums in St. Louis and a, an utter lack of uh, sub substantive leadership for a very long time. And part of that is because Lacey Clay was such an absent congressperson. He was actively involved from what I've learned since I've only been in St. Louis since 2017. And I learned not long after moving here from um, a couple of staffers that worked with Claire McCaskill that indirectly and off the record that like one of the reasons that the Missouri's first district is so gerrymandered is because Lacey Clay wanted a safe seat because we were the last time Missouri was redistricted. Uh, the St. Louis Metro lost uh, an entire congressional seat. We had, we used to have three, now we have two. And so like a lot of that has to do with him. So he's had this huge command over what the district looked like, what the dynamics in the district were, who held local power and doing this all from his brownstone in DC and like very rarely coming home. He did one town hall um, during the midterm cycle that represents Trump's first you know, 20, whatever, 18 months in office or something. Lacey Clay couldn't be bothered to come home and do more than one town hall. And the town hall that he did was embarrassing. I was like, this guy doesn't know how, like he mispronounced Nunez's name. He called him Newts. Um, yeah. And it like, he, he seemed angry that people had questions about the Westlake landfill project, which if you're in St. Louis and you know anything about what that is, that is one of the albatrosses, in for local stakeholders who live in the north part of the district um it's an old landfill there's a fire burning underground it was completely mishandled um and he had a pretty good explanation when he finally this is during the town hall he, like he finally had a good explanation for what was going on but it showed that he was so disinterested in connecting with his actual constituents that they just didn't know what he had done he'd been doing stuff to mm. kind of handle this problem but he's such a terrible communicator that he didn't bother calling any of the local activist groups and stakeholder groups that had been trying to get the EPA's attention for like 20 years about this thing. So I was like, okay, so he's never here. He doesn't know anybody. Nobody has a relationship with him. Nobody trusts him. Everybody's mad. And this is one of the, this is somebody who's should be standing up for people during what is really arguably the first kind of Americans first official slide into dictatorship. Right. 
And he was just kind of shrugging his shoulders like, yeah, Trump, I don't know. Yeah, he's a jerk, whatever. But this Noons guy, it was like a, it was like a comedy of errors. It was, it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to clarify that because I don't want people to listen to this and think that I think that like Nancy Pelosi is like trying to get rid of Cory Bush. I, no, like she might look at her and be, kind of roll her eyes a little bit because that's Nancy's way. But like, I don't think it's the, this is not her doing. This is not the National Party. This is our own problem. Um, if you could talk a little bit about like the the smattering of FEC violations and possibly IRS violations that these two utterly sloppy groups might be facing, that I think that would also be really interesting. Because not only are they doing a terrible job of um, running sort of a counter, sort of running a, a, a challenge to her, to Cory Bush, but they're also doing it in a way that might be fundamentally illegal, right? Mm-hmm. So the issue. Um, you know, at th- that we had a question about is obviously, you know, PACs cannot coordinate um, with candidates. In this case, you know, the fact that the father uh, of the person who is the opponent of the recipient of these attacks is, you know, has been the manager, is a member of the company. I'm sure they um, never talk about it, Akela. They never talk <laughs> about the supper dinner or like on the phone, like, dad, how's the pack going that I can't know anything about? Don't ask me that. Son. Like, of course, like it's so, it's so comical. And that's why I wanted to bring this up. Like, it's so absurd to think that, that there's no coordination on behalf of the campaign. There are packs that do okay things in the world. Like, I'm not a fan of dark money, but there are ways that, unlimited campaign finance does do things for candidates on the left sometimes. Right. Yeah. And well, and the, the, the key piece of this is like, that's one piece of it, but the other piece that's even more, you know, damning is that the, this other group progressives for Missouri, um, the treasurer is actually Stephen Roberts's campaign treasurer and his business partner. So, I mean, that is clear, you know, that's a 501c4, um, you know, that the, the rules are a little bit different there, but it's the same, network of people who are all, you know, orchestrating this and then, you know, all at the same time trying to distance themselves from it. But yeah, the issue at the issue in question for the the Ahad pack, you know, was the potential coordination. Um, and also they missed, you know, several FEC file or, you know, they missed the FEC filing deadline. Um, they had gotten a couple of requests, uh, for additional information, which is not uncommon for, for PACs. Um, and, but it's not rare necessarily either. Um, so it's, you know, there, the, why that was of interest in, in this situation is because obviously their first report, um, it, it only, it came, you know, within, I think two and a half weeks before primary day. So giving them, you know, the, the maximum possible time to sort of just to conceal, uh, who was funding the operation, uh, by sending that report at a later date. Um, they also have, they had a, a bunch of, um, ads that they purchased that they they haven't had to disclose yet because it was you know one or two days after the filing deadline which is not there's nothing you know illegal about that but it's obviously strategic in in not allowing people to to be able to see that the public records on that um unless they're looking for it but yeah i mean the the most hilarious part of this whole thing is that um scd investments which is this corporation that is the primary funder of yahad pack uh you know i think there's there's like at least 10 uh, LLCs with that same name, like SCD one, two, three, four, um, all of which, you know, have, have some sort of link to Stephen Roberts senior, um, and which have contributed to, uh, not only Stephen Roberts juniors, uh, state and local campaigns, but also his father's, 
you know, run for to to get reelected to the to the St. Louis City uh, Board of Aldermen. So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> I think after this, uh, your your former colleague and maybe still friend Sarah Sirota has been on a couple times to talk about uh, more the Senate race. And uh, after she came on, after uh, she talked about Trudy Bush Valentine's uh, ties to the Veiled Prophet. Uh, organization and how Trudy Bush Valentine had been a debutante crowned at the Veiled Prophet Ball. And, and she went into an in-depth kind of very quick uh, synopsis of the Veiled Prophet organization and um, what it's linked to and its links to the Klan and white supremacy. And after she went into this b- brief but very deep explanation, I was like, well, you're, you're, um, you're honorary STL. You can ride honorary STL. So now I bestow the same uh, title onto you. I think now that you know that much about Steve Roberts' father, you officially are honorary uh, STL. I don't know if that's a, honor, a title you want, um, but it is yours <laughs> yeah, to do like- with as you wish. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know if I want to know as much information as I do about this family, but I appreciate that nonetheless. Well, yeah, hopefully the, hopefully this will be, um, you know, the, there's a very good possibility that he'll have a Senate, uh, that he that he himself will face a primary challenger um, when his Senate term is up for up for re-election. I have to deal with him for another two years as my state senator. He's a terrible uh, Missouri senator, by the way. I And anybody who's endorsed him, who's a friend of his, uh, who... Uh, they know who they are. Like you should be ashamed of yourselves. He's not, he's not even good at what he does. It's pathetic. Um, so before I let you go, I would love to hear your reaction to this because you write about dark money and you have uh, now fully enmeshed yourself in one of the grisliest sides of our primary season. And then we're going to, if you don't mind, I want to shift you over just uh, for a second to our uh, Senate primary. And we have two very good, we have we actually we have quite a few uh, uh, Democratic candidates who are trying to vie to be the um, the Democratic candidate for Senate mm-hmm. and for U.S. Senate and um, we've my I personally have endorsed Spencer Toter and a lot of other people uh, are very aware of who Lucas Kuntz is and his efforts to kind of create kind of an interesting um, conversation around populism uh, during the cycle and the the candidate that no one in the in progressive circles is particularly excited about it is Trudy Bush Valentine and I'd love to just get your reaction to this so she had not done any public events for like months um she would like send videos to like you know whatever local uh democratic committee or whatever was having their you know charity dinner fundraiser and you know lucas is there and spencer is there and all these other people that are running to be in the state legislature are there and no trudy bush valentine she sends a video so she finally made an in-person appearance for the first time. I think it was last, it was, I don't know if it was last week, the week before last at this point, but it was at one of the milkiest white uh, t- democratic township meetings you could possibly have gone to in the entire metro area. She went to Chesterfield, which is like saying like you went to Westchester or something like, it's just like the, the most like the safest possible area for her to do a town hall in. Mm. And a member of the crowd said, something that you can't really quite understand, but it was clearly about campaign finance reform and about citizens United. And her response was, this is what I want to get your reaction to. Her response was remind me again, what citizens United does. Oh yeah. I I heard about this. Um, Okay. Oh, so it did bubble up to you. I, I saw a video, I saw a clip of the video. Um, and then I saw some people have been like tweeting about it. And like, we wrote a story about it the other week, but I, I, I actually hadn't had a chance to fully process it. So you're, you are getting my, uh, my unvarnished okay. reaction. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's obviously it's just hilarious. Like 
you know, Democrats, their their main uh, priority bill, you know, under Trump was a major campaign finance reform bill. You know, it's been something that the party has talked about for a long time, you know, whether or not there, there's been teeth behind their efforts. But, um, you know, Citizens United is one of the most important decisions, you know, of our lifetimes, um, which sounds kind of strange to be saying, given the most recent decisions. But uh, we live in crazy times. And yeah, I think it just underscores, um, you know, the the lack of uh, seriousness of, of some of this stuff. You know, you have one of the wealthiest people in the state, probably, you know, with all the political connections you could possibly want, um, you know, families, longtime political donors, uh, you know, saying, you know, don't worry, I got this. Like, just, you know, just every, if everyone falls in line behind me, like we can we can fix this. We can we can get another Democratic senator and like even the most basic of concepts. Um, Third rail, one of the major <laughs> rails, one of the major, major rails of Democratic something politics right is, now is like dark money in politics. Right. Something that's purportedly supposed to be, you know, a bipartisan issue. Um, right. Which is what her whole thing is about. You know, I'm putting politics aside, but, you know, that's that's not that's probably not should know how they work. Boo. So before yeah. <laughs> before I officially let you go, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, speaking of the Senate campaign and speaking of Trudy Bush Valentine. So her family has hosted fundraisers for not just Republicans, but two of the most conservative Republicans in the state that are currently running for Senate and not just any, but Eric Greitens and Eric Schmidt. So there were two different groups that requested to host fundraising events at um, the estate that she co-owns with various members of her family. So we understand that like she doesn't get to veto um, every single, I know she, I think did the right thing and, and said like, do not hold an NRA fundraiser at Grant's farm while I'm running for Senate, you idiots. Um, but, <laughs> you, but not long after that, you guys ran a story about two different fundraising events, one for Greitens and one for Eric Schmidt. Both of them are terrible human beings and have no business being in the United States Senate uh, in what is a very difficult time. So I'm just curious like how that came on your radar and if you want to maybe just give us a little bit of a short synopsis on, on, on that mess as well. Yeah, so um, there had been uh, uh, at least one story that mentioned the Greitens fundraiser and then we heard um, you know, from another source you know, in in uh, Missouri politics about the Schmidt fundraiser. Um, and, you know, in the context of my colleague Sarah's, uh, my former colleague Sarah's reporting on this, on this race and, and the Bush Valentine campaign, you know, we had, we knew that after, you know, she had reached out and after we published the story on the NRA fundraiser that um, Bush Valentine said, you know, once I learned about this, I, I used, you know, I persuaded the board uh, to, to cancel the event. Um, which is notable because her campaign told us, you know, that she doesn't have any control over the events that take place at the farm, but she is one of the five members of the board, along with her other family members with whom she purchased the farm. So clearly she has some influence there. She decided to wield it in one scenario and not the other. Her her two brothers um, were the hosts of the events for, for Greitens and Schmidt. Um, they're both major donors. And so I think one of the brothers has also contributed to her campaign, which is also just like, what's going on here? But again, not surprising. And so, yeah, that, that uh, we, we published that article. And again, this is another thing where it's like, you know, she, she is campaigning on, you know, pushing to codify Roe at the federal level has gotten, got a recent endorsement earlier this month from pro-choice Missouri campaigning as somebody who will protect um, the right to abortion. And, and, you know, has been pretty vocal about it actually on Twitter and, and in the wake of the decision. Um, 
clearly just another example of, okay, well, like, I, I think the underlying message is if you can't be expected to sort of stand up against your family and in a situation like this, how can people expect you to, to take that stance in Congress when you're working with people who you, who you're, you know, you're with every day. Again, obviously her, her line is putting politics aside, but you know, you can't, you're, you're saying one thing and, and doing the other. Um, and also the, you know, the, at least one of the fundraisers, they had to pay the farm to, to host it. So there's the question of, you know, was she part, was, did she receive any of that money? Um, we didn't get that. We, I, I don't believe that we, um, we discussed that, but you know, it was, it, it's in his FEC filings that they, that they paid the farm for the event, um, which again is understandable, but it's just, you know, being, being held accountable for your position um, in something like that. It's almost like these are things that you should have thought of before you decided you were going to run for the U.S. Senate. I'm just saying anyway. Um, well, thank you so much for clarifying that. And I cannot thank you enough um, for spending the time with us today. Um, and I hope that you'll decide, since you're officially writing STL now, I hope that you will uh, come back again and talk um, about us or, or talk with us again about um, other stuff down the line. Because I think that one thing that we talk about locally is that um, Steve Roberts was an audition of sorts to see how these group of very well-connected, mm. very wealthy, very entrenched power players who I think just don't like being shunned from their cash cows. Um, it's worth mentioning that these people are all very connected to um, Lewis Reed, who was just indicted for like, you know, various bribery scandals. Um, so the chances are very good that if they fail this time, it's because they know that this is kind of a shot in the dark and they're just going to see how it goes. And we can assume that whether or not it's this exact configuration of people or people that are indirectly connected to them, we'll probably have this to look forward to um, definitely during the next campaign cycle for sure. So hopefully we'll be able to talk again or at least, you know, again, on behalf of St. Louis, thank you so much for helping us um, hold these people accountable. Yeah, thank you for, for wanting to talk about it um, and for bringing me on. And I'm certainly happy to, to keep talking about this stuff. I know there's so much going on at the local level that um, that I'm learning about and that you've been a, a great resource on. So yeah, happy to come on anytime. And thank you again for, for your interest. Thank you. The Heartland Pod is a production of Midmap Media, LLC. Follow us on Twitter with at the Heartland Pod. With email, you can reach us, heartlandpod2020 at gmail.com, online with heartlandpod.com, subscribe, and please sign up for our Patreon with patreon.com slash heartlandpod. Become a podhead or an official podgressive today and unlock all of our content. See you at the next show.